So the NFL hour ended up being two hours. So here's what here's what we got. So Sean and I, we just break down the Super Bowl and a few different storylines coming out coming into the offseason. And that's going to be your part one. So I hope hopefully you all enjoy that. Welcome to the sixth episode of the NFL hour. This is going to be a full long episode talking about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to recap the regular season, talk a little bit of a uh, postseason um, stuff and preseason next year, the stuff that we're excited about. And then we're going to talk about some of the most overrated fan bases. For those of you who don't know, this is my good friend, Sean. What's up, Sean? What's going on, man? Long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. So Sean and I... I love Sean so much because Sean is the reason why I actually have a podcast. We talk sports all the time. And then one day we were just sitting around talking sports. And he was like, why don't we start a podcast? Yeah, we- I mean, I was going to say, like like adults, we just communicate through sports memes now. But we just, we just cooked up a bunch of fried shrimp one night and got to it. The rest mm-hmm. is history. Yeah, man, and we we started our own little YouTube show that ran for a little while. Then I started podding, and now you're working in sports production, which you were then. But tell us about what you're doing, Sean. Uh, I work for Fanside as a video producer. Um, put a lot of stuff on YouTube and on their video player and their website. Uh, stuff from like comparing who's more clutch, Tom, uh, Tiger Woods or Jack Nicholas, stuff like that, and then. Uh, most recent video, we went through the uh, the trust the process Sixers and all the crap that went down there. So just telling stories, having fun. Could be worse working in sports, you know. That trust the process video was really really dope. I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Thank you. So man, let's let's get into the Super Bowl conversation. No need to uh, play around. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers shocked the world. Uh, they beat the Kansas City Chiefs thirty-one to nine. And my first question for you is, was it Brady or was it Bowles? I mean, I think we all know that, I mean, Brady played mistake-free. I think he was three touchdowns, zero picks, uh, which was important. But Todd Bowles in that cover, too. Uh, Andy Reid refused to run the ball going back to his Philly days. Um, and that, that, that front four for Tampa Bay got home. Uh, those linebackers are all fast as hell. Devin White, I've never seen a linebacker run faster since, like, Patrick Willis. Uh, Levante David finally gets some credit he deserved. That whole defense. Um, but you're right. Um, I think it, it kind of it, it makes us bring the magnoscope back to uh, the magnifying glass, back to Todd Bowles, and maybe he was yanked too fast and uh, for the New York Jets and never get another chance. This guy's a good coach. Obviously, he can call some defensive plays too. You know, I'm happy that Bowles put on the show that he did. And I'm also happy to hear that Leftwich in the media has actually been getting credit for the game plan, whether it was his game plan, Arians' game plan, or Tom Brady's game plan. It's good to hear the the coordinators getting their due for what they're act what they've actually been doing, because throughout the season, man, I thought Tom Brady was getting far too much credit from the national media who did not actually pay attention to Tampa Bay last year. I. As a Falcons fan, you know, I watched the NFC South. I knew they were a 7-9 team who had a quarterback who had 35 turnovers. So um, 
you take that record that they had that seven and nine, and then you just ask the quarterback to be competent and you have a playoff team. And now don't get me wrong. I think what Brady brought, you know, bringing some of that Patriot way there, the accountability, the, the ability to challenge the coaching staff in a way that says, Hey, this works. I know this works because I've done it before. I think that's what put them over from being a good playoff team to our Super Bowl champions. But I just think what Brady was doing on the field itself was actually was like totally overblown. But I'm also a quote unquote Brady hater. So that may be my bias against him. Yeah, well, I mean, it's easy to sometimes. I, I would say, I mean, obviously, Brady's certainly more professional than Jameis Winston. Um, but I, Bruce Arians, to his credit, uh, he's obviously a good coach. He's obviously a good uh, leader of quarterbacks, as he's shown in the past, whether it's Andrew Luck or uh, Ben Roethlisberger. But he 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 pushed away the credit. He deflected a lot of the credit, whether he was saying that Tom Brady coaches the team sometimes. He was giving a lot of credit to Leftwich and Bowles. So that's kind of like it started from the top. Like he definitely gave everyone their due, at least in his own coaching staff, whether the media wanted to or not. Arians definitely was was good on that. But it, it almost felt like one of the situations like when Tyron Lue was coaching LeBron James where Leftwich, everyone's like, what is he really doing? It's definitely all Tom. When really, obviously, Leftwich is, has been a QB in the league. He's been a leader of men. And obviously, he knows how to run an offense. Um, so I, I think it was one of those things where Tom Brady, the, the shadow he cast was so large that you almost forget about Leftwich for a while. And you kind of you belittle what, what he actually did. But, I mean, in that game – it was impressive. I mean, you kind of had a feeling that Gronk was going to be Gronk in that game. I mean, after after going on boat parties all last year and kind of taking the year off, uh, he started the year a little slow. And then and by the end, obviously, uh, he made his mark. There was just there was so many pieces of that game plan that deserve so much credit. You know, you talk about Gronk and I think that Brady threw those touchdowns to both Gronk and A.B., just to say, hey, New England, we had these guys here. You know, we, we, we could have kept these guys. You could have kept me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, Bill, not that Bill is stupid, but he's, he definitely looks like he made the wrong decision with that one. I mean, every, I mean, to his credit, I mean, Tom Brady didn't look as good in New England the last couple of years. Like, he definitely looked like he fell off a little bit. Uh, but obviously now we know if you, you give him a real receiving core, that wouldn't happen. Exactly, man. I got I got some videos that I might just take off of YouTube because uh, <laughs> I was talking about uh, the the Brady and Gronk Buccaneers uh, being a, um, a, a G wagon with the gas light on, and yeah, it's a nice vehicle, but it's just not enough gas left in the tank, and it might you can't rev you. it up. You can't rev it up. Rev it up. You're scared. And and guess what? They they made it. But the thing you said about Ty Lue. I think that was a great one because it's really – Ty Lue doesn't get enough credit for what he did. As far as somebody who knew how to manage talent, manage egos, and be selfless enough to not get credit for what he's doing as a coach because if you see what Ty Lue's doing with the Clippers now, Kawhi's playing back-to-backs. They're, they're playing a better brand of basketball. And not to say that Ty Lue can go – do what Nick Nurse is doing in Toronto with that type of talent. But I don't think that Nick Nurse 
can do what Ty Lue has done with the talent that he has either. You know, there, it, every coach doesn't have to be the, the, the great X's and O's guy. And we'll talk about that a little bit later to be a great coach. Sometimes you got to know, Hey, I have these good players. And instead of, you know, trying to win my way, I'm going to win what's best for the team. And I think that's Andy Reid's problem. Andy Reid, like so many NFL coaches have such a large ego. It's like, Hey, we're going to win my way. So Tampa Bay saying, Hey, Andy, run the ball. Hey, Andy, Maybe you might want to max protect or leave a back end to chip, leave a back end to block, bring your, your second tight end to come in and block. And he goes, no, we're going to go five against your four, and we're going to beat you. But guess what? It didn't work. For the first time, Patrick Mahomes has looked human in the NFL. I did not – I don't recall seeing one rhythm pass the entire game. No, there was there was one play. I believe it was in, maybe in the first quarter, or the, maybe the early second before the game got away, where they they used the receiver screen to block the end, and Mahomes around went around for like an eight yard run, and it was the only time all game that they really like even you saw people chip on the defensive ends like Pierre Paul. The game of his life, eight and zero in the postseason. By the way, is Jason Pierre Paul has never lost a postseason game, which is wild to me. Um, I just want to touch on real quick with the last thing on the offensive coordinator thing. I think the NFL and its owners have this stereotype they're trying to fulfill constantly. Um, they think that if you're 38 and white with a neck beard, that you're an offensive genius and, and that no other person that doesn't fit that description can be that. When they, I, feel like, I feel like everyone's stuck trying to find the next Sean McVay, and obviously that reflected in all these coaching hires, whether it's uh, Kingsbury – last year or two years ago with the Cardinals or what is it, Zach Taylor with the Bengals or this year with uh, the, the coach the Eagles hired, the, the guy from Indy. And I think it's like, come on, like you got, you got an OC in, in, in the Buccaneers. Like he, former QB, doesn't have to fit your, your, your stereotype to be a good offensive play caller. Um, and then there's a couple of notes that I had here. Uh, I heard earlier in the week, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, Travis Kelsey is so good at getting first downs. And one of the notes was that he's so ready to turn around after he catches the ball. Uh, he'll catch it, and he's already ready to turn up field. But because of that, he has a couple drops here and there. Definitely had a key drop on third down. Uh, I, maybe it was the second quarter. Um, and then Mike Remmers, that poor bastard. Uh, he got destroyed by Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware against, uh, in that Denver Super Bowl with Carolina. And then today, he just had his lunch handed to him. Uh, I don't. I don't think he should be anything more than an emergency tackle at this point, at least in big moments. Should he even be an emergency tackle? Uh, it was turnstile-ish. That's the only way I can describe it. And I'm not somebody who, who, who watches line play intently because, for one, it's boring. Um, and as a, as a personality, I am not ever going to be the guy who's going to tell you what's going on in the trenches. I will defer to those who do that. Right. But when you're watching the game from, from when you're watching the game, it's like Pat cannot go three steps plant. He cannot go five steps plant. What was it? He ran 497 yards escaping the rush. He got his cardio in for sure on, on, on turf toe. Great, great, great game plan, huh? Yeah, I, I just, you know, it's just unfortunate that. Andy Reid didn't adjust, but it goes back to who Andy Reid is and has always yep. been. You know, 
he got away with it last year because they, I mean he don't get me wrong, great coach had a great team, but great you, guy obviously. You know, and you you're a Philly fan, so you you felt this. You know this is this is actually hurt you. Andy Reid is an awful game manager. What the hell are you doing with your timeouts at the end of the second quarter, Andy? Yeah, I get yeah. that you're trying to you know say our defense is going to make a stop, but they didn't. And I'm not saying that the officiating was was perfect because it's not. But then you end up giving up a touchdown where the the Bucks were going to run the clock out. Yeah, I, I think I think to me, and obviously. It's easy to to say this from your computer chair, but I, I think that the that the media is going to rip apart taking those timeouts. But I mean, that's that's who they've been all year, is it not? Like they've been very aggressive. They're going to call timeouts, so I can't hate them as much for that decision because it's just having confidence in Mahomes to then get the ball with forty eight seconds left and drive down the field and be who he should have been, I guess. So I can't hate him as much for that. But I, I think that there's this thing about making the halftime adjustment where we're like, coaches, make how to make halftime adjustments. But if you wait till halftime to make your adjustment, you're done. It's about like the it's about the timeout adjustments. It's about like those timeout in the in the first quarter adjustments. It's about the between the first and the second quarter uh, changes you make to the game plan. And there was there was none of that. The Chiefs had the same game plan the whole game. Uh, they couldn't solve the cover two. Um, and how how much better? I, you got to feel good for Carlton Davis. Got burnt for like 250, 60 yards in one quarter last time they played, and he played lockdown. Did, he, did you see him the whole game? That's the best thing you can say to a corner because I didn't see you the whole game. Uh, they took the hill out of the game. Um, and, and can I just say, can we stop giving QBs the Super Bowl MVP? Tom Brady wasn't the MVP of this game. And, and obviously we can go back through history. Eli Manning was not the – MVP of that Super Bowl. There's just so many other instances where it's like, give it to the D lineman, give it to this guy who played out of his mind. Like I know that you can't give it to units, but like, give it to the D line, give it to all three of those linebackers. It's that pisses and, me off. And and you know the problem is, is like how I just said. You know I'm not I'm not checking for trench play. I see the obvious stuff, right? Right. But who 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 in the media? That gets these votes, knows line play that well. Like I listen to Ryan Rossillo every week, and he constantly talks about, yeah, I know a little bit, but I, right. I, I don't, I don't know what to look for. Like I don't know if someone's supposed to kick out or block down, you know, and and you see stuff like that. And it, it was easy, it was convenient to say, oh, let's give it to Tom. It's his fifth. He's the reason that they're here. And it's like he played, he did what he was supposed to do. He played good, yeah, and. He he took shots when he was supposed to, safe shots like he always does. But I'd say sixty percent of the quarterbacks in the NFL would have won that game with the way that Kansas City failed to adjust to Tampa Bay's defense. Am I crazy for saying that? I mean, I mean another another thing that kind of gets brought up there is that like that that whole remember that couple years ago where they're like that big middle linebacker who clogs the run is done. You need to be able to cover in space as a linebacker now. I think that Tampa Bay benefited from that like otherworldly. All their linebackers are fast and smart in coverage. So I think that the the linebacker renaissance that's been kind of slowly happening is here. Uh, absolutely. There wasn't a big, slow 6'5 guy run stuffer on the field, I don't think. Um, it, it was just – also, is Le'Veon Bell cooked? Was he on the Was he on the field? Is he hurt? 
did Andy Reid forget him on the bus? I I haven't looked into that, but like nothing's come out. I thought he was going to be a game changer for them once he got up to speed. And I mean, obviously, uh, that the rookie uh, Edward Hilaire had been dealing with an injury since like halfway through the season. But like, Bell, Clyde looked good. They averaged like seven yards a carry on the ground. Like, hey, Ooh. this is working. And we were yeah. afraid that Bruce Arians wasn't going to do that. Be like, hey, let's be balanced, pound, 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 play action. And Bruce did it. So a major credit to them. But, you know, one thing about the game that really, really stuck with me is I want to know what Tom Brady said to Tyron Matthew on the field. <laughs> I mean – what he called him a bitch. He said something about his mom. I don't know. Like Tom Brady's never been one to be quiet about shit talking. Absolutely, like he'll talk trash. But why does Brady get the benefit of the doubt? For one, Honey Badger gets the penalty called on him, and if you watch oh, well, it, that, yeah, that was awful. You go, come on, man. It's you either throw nothing or you throw two, and you offset them because both of them are going back and forth at each other. But even in the coverage of it, how you just said Brady's been one to talk shit, but we never talk about Brady being a shit talker. We talk about Philip Rivers being a shit talker. We talk about Jameis eating the doves, you know. We talk about the other quarterbacks that may not necessarily fit the pretty boy corporate mold that Tom does. But Tom gets a pass because, oh, well, psycho Tom, because he, he he's winning. It's passion. Like, no, bro. Tom talks shit just like everybody else talks shit. Tom just goes in front of the podium and says, well, you know, we played hard today and, you know, on to next week. Great at the podium. And because he's great at the podium and because, again, he fits a certain mold, he gets the benefit of the doubt when it's like you can't be that damn good at that age and not have a crazy, intense edge about you. That's the word. That's the word is edge. Um, I also think you're forget there's another – uh, Tom Brady comparison. Uh, he, he walked off the field multiple times this year when he lost without giving a handshake to the opposing quarterback. Um, and then we we blame Cam Newton for that post game of the Super Bowl when he's 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 being a bad sport. But Tom Brady's just passionate. I just you're right. He doesn't he he fits a mold and he gets away with that that stuff because of it. But um, I mean, what what, what do you say to uh, to Richard Sherman? I'm going to kick your ass. And then, then then after the game, Sherman looks like the villain. And obviously Sherman, there's a little bit more more to Sherman than just that moment, obviously. But, uh, yeah. I mean, he's got caught in his tracks before. Not often, but once or twice. I I think the B-word was used, personally. Yeah. Um, he was mic'd up, wasn't he? We'll get to hear it eventually, right? No, they'll burn the tapes. Just, just just like you know the Bulls in ninety four, ninety five, you know, it will burn the tapes. Yeah. Just like that Kings Lakers series from uh from O three. It's it's never yeah. gonna be seen again. Never. Uh, but you know, congrats to Tom, congrats to to Tampa Bay. Uh do you think that Tom is the goat of goats? Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying to, uh this to you before the pod started. You can't compare him to football players anymore. It just doesn't really com- – does not compute, honestly. Like, you can't compare him to Ma- uh, Montana anymore um, because he did it with a different team. Obviously, Montana took the Chiefs to the AFC Championship game, but he didn't get him over the hump, which is a whole different ordeal. Um, 
this is the equivalent of Michael Jordan going to the Wizards uh, and winning an NBA championship there. Just in, in terms of the equivalent of what Tampa Bay is uh, as a franchise to the NFL and what the Wizards are to the NBA, it's very similar in like just how bad they've been just organizationally and just all the pieces are now Tampa Bay's defense was kind of good when he came in and he definitely just jumped in the, in the, in the pilot seat and just kind of hit the buttons better than Jameis Winston did. But I mean, in terms of just what that, those creamsicle jerseys used to mean, they used to mean 0 and 14. And now it's like, I mean, Super Bowl champs. So, I mean, he definitely gets, he definitely gets credit for that. It's definitely is is an amazing feat. Uh, In terms of the go to goats. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you, get, you probably have to go to non-team sport people. I mean, it's, it's, it's Jordan Brady and then, like, I don't know. Do you got, you got anybody else for me? Uh, you probably have to go Serena, Tiger, maybe Federer. Right. Tiger, uh, yeah. A boxer. Right, right. Ali, can we go yeah, there? Uh, and so that's kind of where the conversation I was having earlier was about this. And it was coming from – the post I saw, it kind of came from a non, it seemed like a non sports source, right? So they're saying, how can you compare, how can you even say Tom Brady's to go to GOATs when look at what Tiger Woods has done, look at what Serena has done? And it's like team sport, it's, it's a different team. element. You got to lead, you got to lead 10 men with you everywhere you go. Exactly. And there's so many other, so many other variables that you can't control. But Tom has shown where he goes winning follows. And I can't be a hater forever. I just can't hate on Brady forever. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't hate I don't hate his passion. I don't I don't hate him. Uh I can definitely dislike some of his habits or some of the things that have happened, but I mean that's just being a fan, you know. Um has there ever been my question also is, are they the most unlikable Super Bowl roster in the last 10 to 20 years? Between Brady, who, for all his greatness, definitely gets a fair share of hate just because of how good he is and how much of, I mean, just kind of how pretentious he can be sometimes with his Uggs and kissing his son and whatnot. You got Indomitian Sue kicking people's heads. He won a Super Bowl. You got Antonio Brown and some, I don't even want to go through his rap sheet at this point. Uh, is this the most unlikable Super Bowl winner you can think of? Uh, Super Bowl winner, yes. I still don't think they're as unlikable as the 2012 Heat. Right, right. I mean, and that was less off the field or off the court than more just kind of the air of su- superiority they kind of tried to hold themselves to before they've done anything. So yeah, I agree. That that's a good that's a good point. But yeah, um, I, I was rooting against them all year. <laughs> hate AB and I think AB's done a lot of terrible things. Um but I I'm not in that in that kill AB camp because what I've seen is he needs football. That's an interesting way to look at it. And and obviously there's a lot of good dudes on that team too. We can't just Yeah 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 you got your Mike <laughs> Evans who's already talking about taking a pay cut. Yeah uh, Chris Godwin, who gave Tom Brady his number and didn't charge him, that would have been at least a hundred thousand. At least I might want two fifty. Levante David, uh, consummate professional. Yeah. So I, I, I'm I'm just happy. Shit, I'm happy that it's over. But let's let's transition a little bit into you know you talked about 
Bruce Arians and his coordinators and how he gave his his coordinators a lot of, you know, they're they're just due for what they did. And if you don't know, they have one of the more diverse coordinator rooms in the NFL, very diverse staff, but more importantly, at the top three positions, he has three African-American coaches. And then he also has two female coaches on his staff. Do you think that because the NFL is a copycat lead, like you talk about the Sean McVay's, the Neck Beards, that personality that has yet to win a Super Bowl, by the way, they just, they, they get there, but they come up short. Do you think the NFL will see this diversity on their Super Bowl champion and say, hey, look, there are qualified people who don't fit the mold that we typically look for for these positions? You would hope so. And that's a great point that none of these 30-year-old boy geniuses have done anything. I mean, Sean McVay's come close, but even he's the prototype. I mean, I think that there's – and tell me if I'm wrong with this. Um, I think that when black coaches come in, they're almost expected to be motivators as opposed to X's and O's guys. Yeah. And, I, and I feel like that's definitely like a stereotype that I don't understand. Um, and I feel like Todd Bowles gets the Jim Caldwell award of the coach with the lowest pulse. He doesn't look like he's ever sweating. He doesn't look like he's ever under pressure. Um, that guy is not a motivator, at least not that I see on the outside, obviously. And I feel like that may hurt him because he doesn't fill that black coaching stereotype. But, like, dude knows X's and O's. Absolutely. He's, what is he the best Jets head coach other than maybe Rex Ryan for two years and what we've seen at least in my lifetime? Like, he did an all right job with a, what is usually a terrible team. He, he, he almost got Ryan Fitzpatrick to the playoffs, right? Yeah. And um, they were they were in a rebuild, and they say hey, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna fire you because you're not winning." It, it's almost like, and this is gonna be unpopular. I look at Hugh Jackson. Okay, don't get me wrong. Hugh was terrible in Cleveland by his record, but they were in the middle of a rebuild. They were selling off picks to get more assets, and it's like the front office didn't want to win, so he didn't win, and then he's a bad coach. He goes, no. I don't. It's it's hard to. Coach. Yeah, well, his thing is hard, too, because remember in that Hard Knocks episode, his mom died in training camp. Like, that dude was going through some stuff also. Like, he probably should have taken a break in that moment anyway. Uh, I know a lot of times you're trying to work through it and use work to ease your mind, but that, that was weird to see, too. Um, I also think it's hard when you're put in and you're told uh, lose games or at least you're put in a position to lose games and not let just a terrible culture consume uh, that football team, which is why someone like, ironically, Brian Flores is so impressive. He was put in there and they were like, lose games. And he was like, no. Like, it, like they got killed that first game. Everyone wanted out of the Dolphins. They traded Minka Fitzpatrick. And by the end of the year, they have like five or six wins. And obviously it carried over to this year. So I, I, I think that, I think you're right. I mean, Jeff Fisher is the ultimate example, always, obviously. I mean, Adam Gase, there's just there's just a lot of people that, you know, if they didn't look the way they look, they wouldn't have the chances they have. And I, I you, you hope, but, and I say this kind of as a joke and kind of seriously, that like, but don't be surprised if the biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl coordinator-wise is that Eric Bieniemy shouldn't be a head coach. And like, I say that as a joke, but also it's it's sad, but it might be true. 
you know, Dan Campbell wasn't employed. I, I'd play along. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, it's, I don't think anything's going to change personally uh, because you can't change the owners and they're old billionaires. And you don't tell old billionaires what to do. And unfortunately, what we see in sports is that the owner of the team, the top, is not always invested in what the team is actually there to do. Because for one, if you look at what most of these, these guys own, they are experts in that field. Sports doesn't work that way. It's hard to become an expert in sports and then make enough money to own a team. Maybe Arthur Smith gets to become that guy if he inherits the uh, the FedEx from his dad, you know, uh, current coach of the Falcons. You got your Jerry Jones, who is a decent football mind, or at one point was a decent football mind. You know, he did good in the beginning, right? He had a yeah. fast start, and then and then has been terrible since. I think. Right, but you you, you don't have your Al Davis as somebody who was actually a no shit GM and was able to purchase a team now because the teams cost so much that only the rich of the rich can buy them and they're not sports people. So it's a weird business structure if you think about it. Like, hey, you're going to own this thing that you don't really know anything about, but all you're going to care about is your bottom line, which is what you care about in all your other businesses, but that's not actually always what's best for your success as a owner of a franchise well that's why and not to cross sports but like that's why we love people like mark cuban like not only does has he invested time and like energy and resources in like learning how to be a sports guy but like i, I think part of it is also like caring about your entire organization like actually caring about these people caring about your players um caring about the culture within your building and obviously even they had some issues with that uh that we don't have to get into but definitely not perfect um I, I think that i and not that this has even worked so it's even sports is such a hard business because even my, my my idea would be something and the nba does it like they put jerry west in charge and wherever he goes he does well but then in the nfl you put like john elway in charge and he got it done he got a super bowl out of it but then that team's been terrible for what five years so i i think that like it's just so hard to find an example that's consistently a good idea besides hire Bill Belichick. Like that's the only proven method to winning 20 years straight. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the postseason awards. Um, start off the top, Aaron Rodgers, MVP. Was his third MVP of his career. One of, I think, Three or four people who have that many MVPs. He's up there with Brady and Peyton. And uh, Favre got, what, two or three? Yeah, three. He got three. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Favre with three. Um, what are your thoughts? I, I thought Aaron Rodgers should have been the MVP of the league. Uh, I'm an Aaron Rodgers guy. I, I watched. He, he was a, he's been a different Aaron Rodgers uh, the last two years even better than he was last year, this past season. I don't have any complaints about it, although there is an argument for that could have gone for Brady that's going to be similar to LeBron in basketball this year. There's so much, so many intangibles that don't show up that made the team what it was. 
But I, I think Aaron Rodgers deserved that uh, award personally. Yeah, well, there's there's a couple of things, and this again, this goes through most sports. Why does it take so long? I think these awards would hit home more, and I'm sure there's a method to the madness and to keep your sport relevant even after the even after the Super Bowl happens. But like, it, announce it after Wild Card Weekend. It makes more sense. Like, it, it, it seems to always bite the the guy or the team or the league in the ass. Where it's like, ah, he's eliminated, and he wins the MVP. It happened with Giannis. It happened with Rogers this year. It's like. Can we announce it after the wildcard weekend so it it, it it makes a little more sense? Like, this guy is great. Oh, and then he won a playoff game as opposed to, like, putting these guys in a position to get debated. Like, he obviously was the MVP, but because we announced it after he had, a ter- like, not a terrible postseason showing, but, like, he lost when he probably shouldn't have lost. Uh, it just looks like he wasn't when he definitely was. Um, and then also, can we just call this the QB of the, of the year award? I mean, it's another thing where just QBs, and I know that they're the brain of the offense. It's the most important position in sports. But, like, I mean, some love to somebody else, whether it's Derrick Henry or Aaron Donald or it just over and over. Let's just call it what it is. It's the QB of the year. It goes to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. They should, they should just – because, honestly, the offensive player of the year ends up becoming – the, the guy who's not the quarterback who's the MVP, right? Yeah. Um, but, damn, I forgot what I was going to say, and I'm going to admit it on here. What is wrong with me? So, yeah, I agree that they should just do it early because why are we waiting? But, you know, they want to have the show, the, the, the actual award show, so now people can show up pre-COVID. And and then they make that an event. And it's like, bro, if I'm eliminated from the playoffs, I don't even want this right now. Right. If you if you're that if you're that pissed off about losing, like do people show up to this? I I, mean, I usually watch the monologue because it's usually like a funny presenter, whether it's like Steve Harvey or what Kean Peel or somebody did the other year. And like it's it's funny. I would say the ESPYs, it's a funny presenter, but like the actual awards, we're just gonna go to Twitter. You don't need a presentation for that. And I know no money talks. They're not going to listen. They're going to get their their broadca- broadcast slot, and they're going to try to stay in the media cycle. But it just it just seems like those are two easy fixes where it's like, can we just either call it the QE of the year award or and, and move it up? But that, that those are my, my thoughts on that. What about offensive player of the year, Derrick Henry? I mean, yeah. He's the guy that wasn't the QB that was the best this year. I mean – Got over 2,000 yards, and, and, and he made the playoffs. It's different than, like, and obviously, they was also on the Titans, but didn't Chris Johnson go, like, 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight and get over 2,000 yards in a season where he was just running in garbage time most of the time anyway? Like, Derrick Henry was the, the engine for an offensive team that actually made the postseason, so absolutely him. Derrick Henry is the reason that my team hired somebody who I still don't know how I feel about, okay? Um... Now, defensive player of the year, got a little drama there. The Watt brothers took to Twitter to uh, voice their thoughts because Aaron Donald won the award for, like, uh, we should just make this the Aaron Donald Memorial Award because it's his. That dude's uh, awesome. T.J. Watt didn't get it, and there was a feeling that he was snubbed because if you look at the major statistics for a defensive lineman, he had better stats than Aaron Donald. 
like pressures and stuff like that. Yeah. Like he didn't did he didn't get did he get home as much too? I think so. Honestly, um, if you beat me to it, um, let's see. But what I what I found to be um, interesting about that is what he did. Yeah, Watt Watt had fifteen. Aaron Donald had thirteen and a half. But I mean, still impressive. Right, and I think though what the voters looked at with some of the intangibles of this though, the mm-hmm. the attention that Aaron Donald attracts every single play, the way that offenses are building their game plan around minimizing what Aaron Donald does and they still can't do it. And mm-hmm. I think that TJ Watt had a great season, but the Steelers had a really good defense for most of the season. They had a really good pass rush. So you could not just focus in on TJ Watt the same way you did on Aaron Donald. Yeah. And, and it seemed that the Rams, I mean, they were relatively stout all year on defense. Uh, the Steelers seemed to kind of lose steam, especially on national TV. I'm sure that didn't help. I'm sure they lost to the Browns on national TV. I know it's playoffs and we're not supposed to count that, but you can't tell me the voters didn't look at that and be like, where was Watt this whole game? I mean, it just seemed like every time I saw them play on national TV, like I saw them play the Redskins late in the year, and that's like games when they get close and like people actually are watching football. It's the end of the year. It means something. Uh, nobody's showing up. And I mean, it also it also helps that every time the Rams on national TV, the announcers are, uh, are, are pointing to Aaron Donald and what he does well, even when he's on the bench getting a water break. I, I mean, good Lord, like – they're just all over him. It's almost like the Tom Brady effect. Like, oh, man, look at him drink that water. He's so good at drinking that water. Isn't he amazing, Bill? Like, good Lord. So I, they definitely have a crush on Aaron Donald. Sports media does. Oh, man, you know, and I think one of their new crushes is the offensive rookie of the year, uh, Justin Herbert. Yeah. And, then, mean, and not to say that Donald's not good or Herbert's not good. They're both good players. But Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's an argument for Justin Jefferson, but, again, it goes back to the MVP thing. If yeah. it's between a quarterback and another position, quarterback wins every time. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Jefferson's been awesome. I mean, it's kind of it's, – it's funny. It's almost funny sometimes we're like, what, do you have 20 touchdowns his last year at college? And we're like, ah, oh, well, that was in college. And sometimes this stuff is really that simple where he was good in college, he's going to be good in the NFL. And, like, we overthink it sometimes. Just like Lamar Jackson, they go, nah, he, he can't do this in the NFL. And if you look at his his numbers from his Heisman season and his MVP season, they are, like, so close, like 3,500-plus passing yards, over 1,000 rushing yards, 30-plus 30, 30 TDs. You go, no, some people are just so good that they can do the same thing on each level. Yeah, and when, and that's also he went to the perfect team. He went to a, a coach that was actually willing to adjust to him as opposed to – he has to fit in my five, five stop, uh, five step drop offense, or he has to fit in my West Coast offense. Like, I, I think that's also, and not to take away from Lamar Jackson, but he also went no. into a situation where no, they he, adapted he, to him. He's had a coach who who looked at his talent and said, "We're going to maximize your talent," as opposed yeah. to what happened in Atlanta with Michael Vick. Hey, Michael Vick, you're going to be a West Coast offense quarterback. Excuse me. Is yeah, you're not going to you're not going to figure it out until you go to prison and get your life together. Eight years later, unfortunately. 
Exactly. So I'm happy to see that this is happening in the NFL and it's trickling down to the, to the college game, to the high school game that these Supreme athletes who are six, one, six, two, six, three are getting to play quarterback as opposed to being told, no, you got to go play wide receiver. No, you got to go play DB. It's like, why? I got the best arm on the team. I'm, and I just happen to be the fastest. Why can't I run and throw? Yeah, and and the game's adjusting rule wise. Were that like those kind of players aren't going to get their head bashed in every game like they would have in the eighties or even like the early two thousands. So I think it's, I mean, yeah, it's made the game better, honestly. And I think having someone like Lamar Jackson, someone a little bit smaller, helps out because Cam Newton did not get the same benefit of the data. Go, oh well, no, he's fine, he's big. Like so, the rule is the rule. Yeah, well, run, running style didn't help him. I feel like as much as Lamar Jackson runs tough, Cam Newton's trying to truck people. I haven't seen Lamar Jackson too much, but I'm sure he doesn't do that at 180. No, not at all. He's he's that out. Yeah. Um, right. Kevin Stefanski, coach of the year. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to. I mean, there's a lot, there's there's a lot of good uh, candidates for this, um, but I mean, he made the Browns good. I mean, that's yeah. all you need to say. He made the Browns good. They lost Odell Beckham. Uh, and they got better when he was out. Uh, that could be, you know, a Ewing theory proposition or just the fact that they got him rhythm towards the end. But, like, I mean, so I got to say, you made the Browns good. I've never seen the Browns good. You think Odell comes back? Uh, I mean, if it's his – does he have one year left on his contract? Um, he has, I want to say he has a few years left, but, I mean – I think I think if he has years left, then yeah, I think he does. Just because that team is good, and obviously he saw what they could do without him. If he doesn't, I think that guy goes straight to Los Angeles. I think that he, I, I think he's he's made for a city with bright lights. Absolutely, he's he's not Cleveland. Nah, that doesn't seem to. And, and maybe we're wrong. Maybe he likes a a, a, a city with a rich football history and. Uh, and and a great fan base, which I mean would be fun, also I, I think. But I mean, yeah, definitely seems like he wants to be in LA or you know Dolphins. Maybe we'll see. Yeah, so he's under contract until twenty twenty three. I'm not going into the specifics as far as how, how guaranteed money. Yeah, about guaranteed money, but he's under contract until twenty twenty three. So we agree on that. And comeback player of the year. Uh, and I hope he does not come back next year. Alex Smith. Cool, yeah. I that's that's one of those things where like, yeah, you stop coming back, man. It's making me nauseous. Um I mean, yeah, he absolutely gets it. Did you watch the documentary, by the way? No, I some things I'm just good off of. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> so it ruined my bet for Big Ben as comeback player of the year because I felt like Big Ben would have won despite the way he looked towards the end of the season. Um, right. I threw money on Big Ben and Cam Newton, which Cam Newton threw ground balls all year. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you could have gone Rob Gronkowski if the postseason started, right? Although that was more of a self-imposed comeback. It wasn't like he got hurt or anything. He just took a break. Um, right. So, good for Alex Smith, man. And, Sean, I forgot to tell you in pre-production because that's what I do sometimes. I, my memory is awful. And um, Hall of Fame inductees. 
or yeah, got a new Hall of Fame class, headlined by everyone's favorite quarterback Peyton Manning. But we also have Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Drew Pearson, Alan Fanica, uh, Bill Nunn, John Lynch, and Tom Flores. So I want to focus here on Calvin Johnson because mm-hmm. of the of the players who are getting inducted of the of the modern era players. I think he's the only one that may come with a little bit of controversy as seeing that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer after having a, for one, playing wide receiver, and we know how they treat that position in the Hall of Fame, after having a short career and seeing greats like T.O. and Chris Carter have to wait to get in. How do you feel about Calvin Johnson getting in as a first ballot Hall of Famer? Um. Well, I think Calvin Johnson and obviously Chris Carter and, and less so T.O. has definitely gotten his life together. But in terms of like Calvin Johnson has been a quiet stand-up dude, never any issues. So I think it was probably a little easier for voters to put him in. Um, I don't have a problem with, with having a short and sweet career as long as it's it's amazing. Even if you retire early, as long as it was amazing for eight years. Like he was obviously the best receiver in the NFL for, I don't know, probably three or four years straight. That's all it takes for me. I'd rather have greatness in short spurts than like, I honestly, I'd rather have Calvin Johnson than someone like Frank Gore. Like I'd rather you be great for four years than okay for 25 years. Uh, and that may rub, it seems to rub people the wrong way. I don't know about you, but my only problem with that is that they didn't put Patrick Willis in before Calvin Johnson, similar concept. He was great for a very short amount of time. He was the best linebacker I've seen. He was the next coming of Ray Lewis. He had postseason success. Um, I just I think they should have went with him first, but obviously the wideout is more flashy than the linebacker. So you're not going to get much of an argument out of me because I was on here after Philip Rivers retired, saying I don't. <laughs> That's a good one too. Yeah, he's going to have Hall of Fame stats, but I watched Philip Rivers. Philip yeah. Rivers was never the best quarterback in the league. He was a top quarterback. He was a top quarterback who would always disappoint you, just like uh, a Matt Ryan of the world. But at least Matt Ryan has an MVP and a Super Bowl appearance that that may be good enough. And, and or even Eli, like Eli is not a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm sorry, he was average. He was average and had two playoff runs. He's Joe Flacco with a different last name. I, I think. <laughs> He's Joe Flacco who got just a little bit more lucky or like uh, maybe not even luck because obviously luck no, plays a part in this. But Think about it. It's luck. In yeah. the first Super Bowl, you got helmet catch. And second Super Bowl, you got Manningham who pulled his damn toe out of his cleat to score that, that down. He got, we don't talk about that catch enough. No, yeah, we absolutely don't. Not. Eli got extremely lucky to win his two Super Bowls. Look at Flacco. Flacco won his one, but the year before, if Lee Evans doesn't drop that pass in the end zone, they're in the Super Bowl, and they probably win. Yeah. I, so so I think you're on my side then. I think the Hall of Fame should be harder to get into. Yeah. I, I think we're on that – we're on team harder Hall of Fame. I think yeah, the NBA but, is falling victim to this too. But well, we're, I, don't, I won't talk basketball Hall of Fame here. <laughs> I mean, Jimmer Fredette's going to get in for what he did in time. Oh, man. Yeah, no, I yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, yeah, the Philip Rivers thing, I agree with that too. I, I just I, – I'd rather 
you play for eight years and me watching like just a casual, a relatively casual fan of another team where, you know, if, if you play the Eagles, I'm watching my team. I'm not watching your team. I always notice the guys who like who stick out. Like I'm going to watch all my players. I'll notice what my average backup running back did because it's the fan of my team. But like the guys that stand out to me are the truly special people. Like Calvin Johnson was always terrifying to play against. Uh, Patrick Willis was always terrifying to play against. And guess what? Calvin Johnson says he played for one, two, three. Yeah, is it nine? Oh, seven to fifteen. I mean, he went over a thousand yards and and all but two of them. Yeah, doesn't he hold the league record for that nineteen thousand or nineteen hundred sixty-four yards receiving? I'm pretty sure that's a league record. Yeah. Um, he was great while he played, and he did not. He played for four years. He played for nine years. And again, he was always in that conversation of best at his position. And if you're in that conversation for an extended period of time, I think you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, man. So let's get to some of the off-season news that's been going on. Um, where do you want to go? Let's 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 get back to coaching. There have been some interesting coaching hires, to say the least. Um, my guy Cowherd, I know you you you've turned you've turned on Cowherd, and that's so unfortunate. Um, no, hey, I, I don't I don't dislike as much as I used to. I appreciate his craft. I'm 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 happy. He he talked about this being a great year of coaching candidates but a bad year of coaching hires. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good that's a pretty good call. Um cuz he even said he was like I think Urban's probably the best hire and he's a college guy who's done absolutely nothing in the NFL ever. He's the most fun hire for sure. He's definitely like the most interesting, like the one you're like, "Ooh, that's fun." But like again, we all know the history of college coaches coming into the NFL. It's not great. I mean, you got um, what you 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 got uh, Pete Carroll. Sure, but for every Pete Carroll, you got Nick Saban. Nick and, Saban uh, got fucked up by, uh, by his doctor not clearing Drew Brees, so they got uh, Dante Culpepper instead. That's an interesting take on it. Definitely fair enough. Um, I I mean, first off, let's let's look at let's look at last year's. Although, just like in terms of like how you can react in the moment and how it can be completely different like joe judge such a random hire no idea not a not a sexy hire but like i'd say relatively good hire would you would you agree i agree so far, so far yeah because he's brought a culture that they bought into uh i wasn't a big i'm like special teams coordinator i mean he's he's coached under saban he's coached under belichick so he's he he, he knows what winning looks like you know what right looks like but he's not a offensive or defensive guy. But as I've gotten older and more wise, you know, you don't necessarily need an offensive specialist or a defensive specialist as your head coach because that's what you hire coordinators for. Sure, sure. I, I, and I guess my point is like, so like random hire, but seems to be the right hire, at least at this point. And then yeah. you go to someone like Matt Rule, who it's like he was the sexy hire last year. It was like, oh, he makes teams good better everywhere he went. He turned around Baylor. He turned around Temple. And, like, the Panthers sucked last year. I feel like they were, like, the team that every week you're like, oh, I think this Pan Panthers team could win. And every week they're like, oh, they're, yeah, they're not very good. So no, I, I just, but they had no Christian McCaffrey. Right. Oh, Mike Davis played pretty well. 
But yeah, they, don't have, they don't have a QB. They don't have a QB. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Um, but the Matt, the, the Matt Rule thing, him turning around Baylor, I'm sorry, turning around a Texas college football program <laughs> is like turning around a fucking car. It's not yeah. a, if you are a coach with a a coach with a pulse, especially what Baylor was coming off of, Art Browse was running a good program down there. They were just doing some not good stuff. So it's not like Baylor was was awful, right? Run around because those those boosters hadn't left. They still can't write those checks. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. But it, uh, but we we can get back to the the current ones. We, we're gonna go down the list. Yeah. Uh, we got Robert Sala, New York Jets. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I say I don't know because yeah, he's a motivator, rah rah guy. He had, guy. A, he had a good defense that had good players. Yeah, but they play an outdated form of defense that just if you don't have players that 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 cover three Pete Carroll style of defense just mm-hmm. doesn't really work. Like you need, yeah. like you don't have the personnel. It's you're not going to out scheme people. Is what I'm getting at. So what you're saying is that the Jets should draft a pass rusher instead of a QB when they got their first round pick. I, I, I'm just saying because I feel like I feel like the Niners had so much defensive line talent. It was hard. It was not, not that it was hard not to be good, but like he definitely had all the pieces. You're right. He had so many. Like they, they, that team seems to find linebackers off the scrap heap every year. Uh, but they, they had a bunch of dudes who knew what they were doing on defense. You're right. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on Salah? Um, I, everything I, I saw pointed to Detroit, which was interesting. Um, can you hear me still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. All right, cool, cool. I got a weird headphones noise. Um, everything pointed to Detroit because I, I, I think everyone was trying to point to his, um, his background and everything. Um, but, I mean, I like, I like head coaches that call either defensive – signals or offensive plays because then when you get the brain drain when you get successful and everyone wants to take all your coordinators from you at least you don't lose your play caller on one side of the ball so i do like it uh but the whole thing comes down to like whether the jets after two years of going six and ten or seven and nine will keep him you can't just every two years fire a guy who's trying to get your program back in order i mean sometimes it happens that way but sometimes you gotta let him go but I guess I guess we'll see. Um, just thinking though, just 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 let's let's go a little what if. You're you're yeah. you're a Raider guy, you know. We like they like the what ifs. Yeah. Uh, what if they don't fire Todd Bowles? They let him play it out to now. Maybe he's not the guy. You replace him with Salah, but obviously mm-hmm. Tampa Bay doesn't win a Super Bowl. Uh, but also, man, you have. You've shown the NFL community that there is some stability here. That hey, we just kept a coach for five years. I know he didn't do what we made. Maybe he didn't do what we wanted him to do. But we're just taking these five years to show the rest of the NFL. If you are an up and coming coordinator, or if you're a, a old court, a old head coach looking for a coordinator job, that you can come here and you don't have to worry about getting fired in two years. Yeah, and then if you keep going that what if, obviously chain reaction, they probably wouldn't have been bad enough to get 
or they might not have been bad enough or had the same pick to get Jamal Adams. But like, if you have stability like that and you don't have someone like Adam Gase, who I think we can all agree shouldn't be a head coach, you don't let a player of that caliber of Jamal Adams caliber go, even if you don't have him. It doesn't seem like a place if you have stability, you just let good players go, uh, which is set in a weird precedent with that team also, where it's like, don't come here if you want to play good football. So I think that changes the whole the whole face of it, honestly. Maybe Le'Veon Bill doesn't fall off of a cliff. <laughs> or maybe he still does. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. What, a, what about um what about the Lions? We're talking about Detroit. How, how do you feel about the Lions higher? The knee biter. I mean, that guy's gotta be a, a rah-rah guy as opposed to X's nose, right? I mean, when you click on his name on Google, he's still playing football. Uh, he also looks like he kicked my ass and yours at the same time. I don't want to speak for both of us, but hey, um, I, 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 I own things that can protect me from uh, such, such such occurrences. That's fair, but can they protect you from knee biting? Well, I guess we'll hopefully we'll never have to find that out. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I'm not into that whole fighting thing. I, I use this thing and I call nine one one. Um. I, I think obviously the press conference is weird, but like he doesn't get he doesn't get paid for giving. I mean, it's kind of, but like he's not going to be successful if he gives a good press conference or not. He's going to be a good football coach or not. I mean, it's one of those things where anybody but Matt Patricia seems like they'd be great at this point, right? I, it's also one of those things where like who are their coordinators? Because it seems like with a motivational guy like, um, like someone who's not offensively or defensively inclined, that like their coordinators do then end up mattering a lot. Um, but then they're going to be in a rebuilding phase anyway. They're going to have what Jared Goff and whoever else the QB. So I'm not exactly sure what you could really go on right there in Detroit. At least they gave him a six year contract. So that says, Hey, we're committed to you, Dan Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I guess they can, they can fire whoever I did. Like my favorite hire there is they hired uh Eagles running back coach, Deuce Staley who I think was gypped out of a chance of being our offensive coordinator. So maybe they let him move up the line eventually, but hopefully that I, I wish him the best. So that's somewhere he can thrive. So you got Deuce and Anthony Lynn coaching together. Um, where, Where's Anthony Lynn? Is he Detroit now? Yeah. I th- yeah. He's OC Detroit. Well, so it looks like they have a lot of, Oh, he is. Did he play ball? Was he, was he in the NFL at some point? Yeah. So it looks like they have all players at positions because they got uh, – I have to look at Aaron Glenn, their defensive coordinator, but they got Anthony Lynn at OC, played in the NFL. Deuce Staley, assistant head coach, running backs coach, played running back in the NFL. Quarterbacks coach, blast from the past, Mark Brunel. Um, and then offensive line coach, Hank Fraley, who was also an Eagles center at one point. So I, they're definitely – played in the league. What's up? Aaron Glenn did play in the league. He did? He did? Yeah. And then you got – they're expected to hire Antoine Randall L as the wide receiver coach. Oh, I like so it. Lo- They—that's all of them, right? They got <laughs> all—they got all NFL players coaching the team. So honestly, I think I just talked myself into the Lions. I like what they're doing. I, I like that they're giving former players uh, chances to shine. We actually—so bit of a tangent, but uh, fan sided. I was producing an interview with Ed Reed last week, um, and he—he he was very distraught. Uh, we're just upset more disappointed in the fact that the NFL um, it was difficult for certain players to gain respect as coaches. Uh, he said that getting 
his voice heard as a defensive backs coach, I think with Buffalo was he just didn't feel heard. So it's it's excellent. It's excellent to to hear something like that. How crazy does that sound? Ed Reed, Hall of Fame safety, one of the best players at his position. Voice doesn't get heard in a coaching meeting. Not to mention that although he looks wise as hell, the guy has to be the smartest defensive back I've ever seen. Like, like one of those dudes who Manning and Brady were like, we got to watch out for this guy. Like, God damn. Like, have you heard Belichick talk about him? Yeah. Like, I, I, it's shocking. It was shocking to hear. It was, I, I was disappointed that he was disappointed, but. What, so yeah, what, about, uh, what about Brandon Staley out to um, the Chargers? Um, I mean, he has a, he has a, a good QB to start out with. I mean, was he the uh, was he he was the Rams defensive coordinator, right? Yeah, for like w- one season. Right, and he's another he's another he's another thirty eight year old. Okay, um, yeah. I, I do I will say I like that the fact that the NFL will go with some younger guys. Uh, the fact that they all look kind of the same with it, we've obviously been over that a little bit, but it's another thing. But I, I like the fact that like all right, this job. Have you ever heard NFL coordinators and coaches talk about how much they sleep at night? like four to five hours these guys are looking at film like a disgusting amount of time and so it makes sense that the younger guy would be maybe starting to get hired more for the job right because like they're not as old they could stay up maybe later am i ridiculous they gotta stay up and do it and not rest on on their experience and what they know yeah exactly they're driven so i mean that's definitely good i think Um, i think i like the hire from what i've heard about him he's He's an innovative defensive mind. Like he's blending coverages and he's doing some next level stuff that that not many people are doing. And not saying that he's the next Belichick, but you know how Belichick just has done things on defense that's like, what the hell is this? Right. I I, I read that Brandon Staley is that type of coach. Okay. I mean, and just from a personal standpoint, I mean he he beat uh he beat Hodgkin's lymphoma, which I believe is cancer, right? Yeah. He beat cancer right. at age 24. That's pretty impressive. Um, and, and it seemed that, like, that Rams defense, I mean, obviously they had some stars. You had Jalen Ramsey. You had Aaron Donald. But, like, he had that defense humming. Like, he had him yeah, playing really that. good. Everybody else, too. Like, that other cornerback, uh, the opposite of uh, uh, of Jalen Ramsey was killing it. Had his best year ever. Um, and I mean, even that. And he had Jalen playing uh, playing a different way. Uh, so Dave Cully to the Texans. He's uh, Texans. Uh, he's a sacrificial lamb. You know, he's been an NFL lifer. G- good for you for finally getting your chance at your first NFL job. I, I want to root for his success, but I don't really want to root for the Texans to be successful, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but... I just think he's one of those people who this was going to be his only chance to ever be a head coach in the league. So he's like, I'm just going to take this job just because there's only 32 of them. Yeah. I mean, one thing that has going for him is he, he was on Andy Reed's staff at one point and the Andy Reed coaching tree seems to be one of the more reliable coaching trees in the NFL. Um, and he's been around the NFL forever. I mean, he was a running backs coach for Austin P back in like 1978 uh, so he's definitely been around the block. Um, definitely a little different hire. Um, it's just unfortunate that he has to go in that kind of situation. 
Yeah, I man. Mean, nobody, no one wanted that job though. Once, once Deshaun, you know, said, "Hey, I'm, I, I want to leave." Anybody, any, any, any coach who is trying to coach long term, any of the younger coaches are like, "Nah, I'm good off that job." They should just brought in Jeff Fisher because you know he's 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 great at moving teams. Well, then you just got a middle and draft pick. At least bring in somebody terrible. Bring Bill O'Brien back and get a top draft pick. Just don't let him trade it away. I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Why do we keep letting coaches be GMs too? It never works. Even with Andy Reid in Philly. Like, he's a great coach. We know that. We've seen it now over and over again. Uh, but don't make him GM. I just – And his mentor, Mike Holmgren, didn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it just it just never works. Again, Bill Belichick is always the exception to the rule. Any rule you have, Bill Belichick is the exception. So I just like coaching is is hard enough. Don't make him the GM too. It never works. So Texans should hopefully learn that for the future. Yeah. So now let's get to the two coaching hires that are personal to the both of us. There you go. You can go first. I'll go first. Okay, Arthur Smith to the Falcons. I've talked about it previously on this pod in depth. At first, I was unimpressed. I was like, hell no. He's only been a coordinator for two years. And Adam Gase, and I said this before, we hired him. I said, Adam Gase is going to get Arthur Smith a job that he doesn't deserve. And it was the stench of Adam Gase all over Ryan Tannehill. Once he got a competent coach around him who could put together a game plan that actually worked, we'd see that Ryan Tannehill is a decent quarterback, pretty a top quarterback in the league if we're judging him based off who he's been in Tennessee, off the numbers, right? But mm-hmm. you know that given uh, the scheme that they have, given that they have Derrick Henry, he's good because of – he's better because of what's around him. So my fear with Arthur Smith is that he is a product of Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry is not a product of him. And don't get me wrong, Derrick Henry – is, is a good running back, great running back. He's had his two best seasons under Arthur Smith. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that Arthur can bring that same grit to the Falcons. And from what I've seen, from what he said, from his interviews, it looks like he's bringing um, accountability and a tough mindset to a team that's lacked accountability, that has a culture that needs to be revamped because the Falcons could not score touchdowns, could not score any uh, in the red zone, could not hold leads. And Arthur Smith has has one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL the past two seasons. Okay. That's definitely the bright side of it. I, I, I'm going to be a little more negative. I apologize. I just – I got to call it how I see it. One, I think it's hilarious, like I've been saying. It's another white 38-year-old. It's the trend. He, they, they did it again. I think it's ridiculous. Um I will say that this might need this might mean you're gonna try to get some kind of bell cow running back. Uh, at least if he tries to emulate what what Derrick Henry did, you're gonna need a, a lead back like you had in Tennessee. Um, so I think th- I, I don't know if Gurley has legs in him to be an all uh, all no. down back anymore. No. Um, I will say this guy and and I I've listened to Chris Long talk about this about how a lot of coordinators are fake it till you make it type dudes or they're just going to bullshit their way to the top and if you look at his resume he was a defensive quality control coach and then he was an offensive quality control coach and then he was an assistant offensive line coach and an assistant tight ends coach and then and then he's an offensive coordinator 
So I just like, is he defense? Is he offense? Is he receivers? Is he offensive line? I just this this guy seems like he's faking it until he makes it happen. I mean, and, he, and he he could be smart, but it just seems like a guy who's just kind of taking whatever they give him. I don't know if he's good at any of this stuff. He's definitely a line guy. Um, and I and again, I hope he can he can help bolster our offensive line because we've been terrible in the trenches. But uh, what are your thoughts on the best head coaching press conference of all of them? <laughs> Dan head coach of the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni. Yeah, I mean, he's get he's going to get paid, obviously, part of his job as a press conference. But, I mean, as long as he puts together a good offensive game plan, I can give a damn about how many times he repeats himself or stutters in front of the Philadelphia media. Hey, we put the pressure on, all right? He cracked under the pressure. He's nervous. He's a young kid, all right? He's only 25. No, I'm joking. Um, another 30, 39. He wasn't 38. He's 39. Um, I, I mean, basically, Jeffrey Luria, the, the Eagles owner, um, just wanted someone as close to Frank Reich as possible because I think it became clear once Frank Reich left that he took something with him. Uh, and Doug Peterson just never – his staff was just never as good after Reich left. So, Lurie just thinks, all right, let's get, let's get some guy who – who coached under Reich, and we'll see if we can create the magic all over again. Um, he could be good, but I don't think the reason for hiring him was was great, to be completely honest. I don't think he called plays for two years, which doesn't mean a lot because you could, you know, Doug, I don't think Doug Peterson called too many plays, and then he came in and won the Super Bowl. So weirder stuff has happened, but I don't I think the reason for hiring him was bad. Fair. I don't think the job should have been available. <laughs> But we'll hit that when we hit our division. When we hit our division wrap ups. So let's get to the quarterback carousel that's been going on so far. I, I think the NFL quarterback is turning into the NBA max player. Yeah, looking that way. Like we actually got some some movement in the off season. So the the biggest one in the room. Deshaun Watson, where the hell do you think he's going? I mean, it looks like he's staying put for the time being. I mean, it it it, it could just be a game of chicken with the with the front office party. Part of you as a fan wants them to do it. Want, wants you to be like, hey, stop, stop forcing your way out. We want like the fans in Houston probably want you to stay, and it's going to suck for them to see you leave. But at the same time, like, I don't blame them for wanting to get out of a terrible organization, a terrible situation, a place where they just he just saw his former head coach slash GM for whatever reason trade the best receiver in the NFL for a broken down running back and like a second round pick or something. I just, uh, I don't blame Deshaun Watson, but it looks like the, the new owners or the, the, the new power structures trying desperately to, to, to change this. Although they're doing everything except for exactly what Watson asked is to, is to keep him in mind and, and interview Eric Bieniemy, I believe. Like, I think that was his one ask, and that's why he's so pissed off. And they didn't even interview him, which is weird because, like, all you have to do to interview somebody now is click a Zoom link, and they couldn't even do that. So from what I from what I heard, and I don't remember where I heard it at, but I heard it somewhere. Um, they were incredible-ish. Uh, it was a national show. They were talking about the uh, enemy thing, and apparently enemy did not want – BNB wanted to have a FaceTime conversation with Deshaun Watson before taking the interview. Okay. They only 
interviewed him once the trade request came uh became a thing. You know what I find crazy? Not crazy. You know what I find unfortunate and it's kind of sickening? Mm-hmm. That Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson are being covered totally opposite. But Carson Wentz damn near turned his back on his team during the season once he lost his job. Deshaun Watson played through the entire season, waits to the end of the season, and it's like, hey, you guys are dysfunctional. You said you're going to keep me in the loop on the GM and the coaching hires. You didn't. And now I want to leave. So now Deshaun Watson is demanding is demanding out. And and Brett Favre is coming in and saying, hey, you get paid a lot of money, boy. Just shut up and throw the ball like I did. Yeah, right, Brett. We know what you did. And Carson Wentz is just trying to get out of Philadelphia because they lost faith in him because he fucking sucked last year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you're talking about the national media, the way they're covering him. Because I, I, yeah. I, as fans, and especially as a, a fan of a – of the Eagles, I, I hate I hate the way Carson Wentz has, has done this. I mean, it, apparently the reports came out that he was uncoachable. He wouldn't he wouldn't listen to criticism or coaching. Um, he was check he was checking plays of the line that Doug Peterson called almost to spite him. I guess was the report. Now some of this could be the words of a journalist as opposed to what actually happened. But like, even stuff came out last year about him not being a great leader or not being a great teammate, and then. And then more stuff came out about players at the end of the year just being like, this guy put out like a, 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 I guess a statement about like maybe he doesn't want to be here, but like we got like a couple games left. Like what is this guy thinking? The moment he gets benched, he's he he quits. He wants to take his ball and go home. Like that's not the spear of an athlete. Don't you want to fight for your job back? It seemed like the owner wanted to give him a chance at getting his job back by firing the head coach, obviously. And I think that that's what Jeffrey Leary meant to do is kind of give him a new head coach to give him a new start, but he didn't want it anyway. I, I think it's, it's like, how could you root for Carson Wentz at this point? Like he doesn't get what he wants. So he wants to leave. And I, I think that the national media media can say one thing, but like, I mean, I don't blame Deshaun Watson. That's a terrible situation. Uh, it, it's just awful. And as much as the Eagles have lost the last year, we didn't, we weren't a very well coached team. Uh, that team apparently has coddled him since the moment he came in there. They gave him every advantage. Um, and yes, it sucks that you got to come into work every day and see a statue of the guy that replaced you once Super Bowl, and, uh, and legends of his genitalia are still uh, wandering throughout the city. But I mean, it just seems like he is a weak, weak constitution. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I I don't want I wouldn't want him on my team. I wouldn't want him in my locker room. Um, Mainly that part. Mainly yeah, that part. Yeah, I mean, great talent, but who gives a damn when when you're toxic, when you're choosing favorites, when when your team doesn't believe in you, they don't trust in you to to make the best decisions for the team to win, and everyone has to call to you like you're a like you're a first round fucking point guard. Who's never who, like it, it's really becoming too clo- like so close to basketball culture, man. But for the other quarterbacks on the move, man, we got golf for Matt Stafford. Does Matt Stafford finally unlock McVay's offense and get the neck beard their first Super Bowl? I mean, it's it's kind of his chance to prove ever prove to everyone that he was the good QB in a bad situation. Um because I, I think a lot of people love this trade for the Rams. It's like, oh, yeah, now Matt Stafford finally gets a chance to shine. 
but like there's also a chance that he's is just a slightly above average QB. He is Matt Ryan, but but maybe that works because I um, I think golf was was pretty limited, and I think I think Sean McVay's opinion on that. I think you could find a bunch of stuff everywhere, whether it's uh, people trying to say that Troy Aikman was 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 his source of speaking into the media or whatever ridiculous stuff that was. But it seemed like Sean McVay, his own head coach and an offensive, I guess, an offensive genius, we can proclaim him, whether his uh, his the rest of the people trying to emulate him are or not. But he's definitely a good offensive coach. And it, it, he wanted to bench golf for some guy named John Wofford. Is that his name? Sure. Wofford. Wofford? Uh, he wanted to bench him for him at the end of the year. And, and broken thumb is one thing. But we saw once he got in the game that he he could have got it out. He could still, he still could have played. Um, it just, I think it's one of those things where the, like his support system gave up on him. And, and if, if you got him in the, in the building for what, four years and you still want to get rid of him, ooh, I don't have much faith in him either. So yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I think the Rams won that trade. Uh, the only, the benefit for, for Detroit is the draft picks and Jared Goff. He is what he is. So recently it came out that Russell Wilson's not happy. I did see that. I did see that. He he wow. did that previously because he wanted a new contract, but I wonder what the motivation behind it this time is. I think it's the same. It's the similar motivation from the new contract because I think he wanted a new contract, but he really wanted to leave, and he settled for the new contract. <laughs> uh, there's been talks that his wife, Sierra, is not a fan of living in Seattle. Oh, man. Uh, it's bad for her celebrity. <laughs> Uh, but also Russ has been sacked more than any other quarterback during his time in the league, and it's not close. So he's saying he just wants more protection. He's tired of getting beat up. And you've heard players come out and say whether it's DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett, they don't like the way the offense is being is being called. You know, it's it's run, run, pass, run, 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 pass, run, 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 pass. But don't get me wrong, they unlocked Russ early in the year. And then he started throwing some interceptions, and Pete Carroll went back to what Pete Carroll knew and what's worked for Pete Carroll. But Pete Carroll, that has not won you a Super Bowl since 2014, 15, when you won your when you won your one. It's been a long time. So maybe the adjustment needs to be with their front office. Maybe they should, you know, draft a lineman in the first round as opposed to Rashad Penny, who has not was not a first round was not great as a first round running back and has not been a steal of the draft by any means. Um, and you know we are rooting for the San Diego State people. Like we got we I got used, a root for him. I used to play basketball with him. Like yeah, I'm, I was rooting for this guy. I was like really happy yeah. for him. You yeah. know, so it's it's just one of those things, man. Like, do you appease the quarterback or do you like let him go? I mean, Aaron Rodgers isn't happy now either. Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's you're right. It is becoming like basketball in the fact that you don't know if the, well. In, in this case, you do know that you already paid him, so it can't be the money. Uh, but you know, there's a couple of motivations. It's either he wants more money, he wants to be shown that they that they believe in him. He wants more help. He wants another superstar. Um, you know, it's it's the uh, trade for Paul George. That's the only way I'm going here, kind of equivalent. Or or, or it's the I've been here so long. We haven't won anything, and this isn't a major city in terms of it's not, it's not Los Angeles, it's not Miami, it's not. I don't know. I mean, city Seattle seems like a pretty thriving market, but I mean, uh, it's it's 
Russ and Sierra don't seem like Seattle. What's up? Russ and Sierra do not seem like Seattle, though. Well, yeah, I guess so. It's it's one of those things where, like, there's a couple motivations, and this one seems maybe location-based, absolutely, but also the fact that, like, uh, they haven't really been a true Super Bowl contender by the end of the year in a while. Like, they've been one of those teams where it's like, I could see them winning a playoff game or two, but, like, when's the last time they were a number one seed? I mean, back when the Legion of Boom was still around. So it's like maybe he's just frustrated that his team isn't very good anymore. Yeah, I, I, I just hope they, they get it figured out. Do you think uh, the Jets keep Darnold? Uh, that's another place where it's like maybe a change of scenery would do him good. I kind of just want to see him in another in another team's colors just to see if there's any ounce of actual talent in him. We've seen him make off-schedule plays. You saw that highlight against, I think it was – was it the Broncos? He juked the hell out of two people. Like yeah. he's definitely an athlete, um, but I haven't seen him play a, a, a primetime game where he showed up or beaten a good team. So you almost just want to get him out of there just to see if he can do anything in a real org- organization. How about you? I I don't know, and I and I I think because there's a new regime coming that they could they could keep Darnold, move the number two pick and get a fucking load back and really build up a roster around him. But my fear is that his confidence is so shot that he may, he may not be the guy that he came into the league as. But again, yeah, you know, but again, Adam Gase was his coach. So, you know, two years removed from Adam Gase, he could be a whole nother, he could be a Pro Bowl quarterback like my man Tannehill. So we got to see. What about Jimmy G? I mean – I think that we kind of – it's like – it's. It, I feel like a lot of it is that whole hindsight deal where it's like in the moment, oh, he's pretty good, he's pretty good, and then the moment he has a bad game, like this season he wasn't very good and then he was hurt. And I think people love to jump on the pile immediately. It's kind of similar to golf, uh, golf in the way that like his head coach doesn't seem to be completely married to him. Like it doesn't seem like Shanahan is fighting to be like, no, nah, this guy's really good. Like, no, nah, he probably is fine. You hear him in uh, the Niners and like Wentz trade rumors and Stafford trade rumors. Like I think Shanahan would uh, would sleep fine at night if they got rid of uh, Jimmy G. But a lot of it's like I feel like the, the kid has talent. He just he's been hurt. He's been inconsistent this year, and I feel like those two things go hand in hand. Um, I, I think he gets one more chance, right? I mean, they didn't unless they find another QB. Unless they get Darnold, maybe that's a spot for Darnold to bag. Yeah, I think he deserves if even if it's not there, he deserves another chance. He's not been bad enough to not be to, to be benched forever or to become a career backup. Speaking one, of one throw away, right? Yeah. Speaking of a quarterback who has been bad enough to be benched forever, uh is Cam Newton cooked? Uh I mean if Bill Belichick can't can't make you look good, maybe. He might be. I mean, did did he take a year off? Was it an entire year off? Damn near, yeah. This was his first year back. He he had been hurt. Yeah, I mean, that usually isn't good for a professional athlete. I think a lot of times once you take that year off, you're kind of – I mean, unless you're Rob Gronkowski apparently and eating a ton of CBD every day. Um, I mean, it was just weird how inaccurate he was. Like, if, if he was okay from the – like, if he was throwing accurate passes and maybe just didn't look as athletic, but, like – like you said, it's throwing ground balls, or as my dad used to uh, exclaim, the McNabb special. Uh, that that could be wrong. That, 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 that's just a memory I have. Um, hate me or love me. Um, 
but I just he was throwing ba- he was throwing balance passes all year, and you can't be that in a modern NFL offense. Yeah, no, bounce passes are reserved for basketball. That concludes part one of the NFL Hour, episode six, uh, with myself and Sean. Stay tuned for NFL Hour, episode six, part two, where we break down each division. Hope you enjoyed.